0: Thank you for joining us. My name is Katie Heinley, and this is the Fisheries Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the stories of the amazing people and projects that make it fishery science. If you haven't already, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Fisheries Pod. If you are the generous sort, you can be like Jody, Jerry, John, Garrett, Ben, and Janet, and support the podcast on Patreon with either a recurring or one-time donation. This helps us pay for various parts of the show. If that isn't your thing, you can also purchase Fisheries Pod shirts, hoodies, stickers, and face masks on our Teespring store. Today, I'm interviewing Anthony Dangora. Anthony is a regional fisheries biologist for Idaho Fish and Game based out of McCall, Idaho. Anthony received his master's from the University of Montana and his bachelor's from the University of Massachusetts Amherst. All right, welcome to the podcast, Angie. <laughs> Thank you. I like to start with people's backgrounds. So where did your interest in fisheries first begin?
1: Yeah, my interest in fisheries, you know, probably like a lot of people. I started out by growing up fishing, being outdoors. Um, I didn't know I necessarily wanted to become a fishery biologist out of the gate. Uh, that probably wasn't till a little bit later in life. But in my undergraduate degree at UMass Amherst, um, it was around sophomore year, I decided to pursue fisheries as a major or concentration and kind of haven't looked back since and just got out in the field as much as i could started to fall in love with the field itself got a lot of lab experience and yeah just made it a goal of mine to stick around in the fisheries field and make a career out of it
0: yeah i was looking through your cv to to make all these questions and I noticed that essentially all of your work is with Salmonids. And as you, you may remember, I think Salmonids are sometimes overrated. So I was curious if you like specifically looked for jobs with Salmonids or if it just like happened to keep getting jobs and that's just like what you stuck with as you went through.
1: Yeah. Uh, just my first job. So happened to be with, you know, the fish with an adipose fin and kind of stuck with it. Once I got, you know, my feet wet and, uh, some honored world. I kind of kept just pursuing those opportunities. I did have some work a little bit with, like more on the lab side in undergrad with like an adjumus alewife or river herring. So I did kind of, you know, mix things here and there, but I guess it's kind of was just the nature of how my career went went and developed. And that was honestly a big part of, you know, my current position, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get into a little bit more later. Um, you know, I get to work with a lot of non-Salmonid non fish, and it was just, to me, it was a really exciting aspect about this position to, uh, you know, kind of go beyond just the the Salmonid mm-hmm. world of fisheries.
0: So you agree they're overrated <laughs> <laughs> Not overrated. I mean, you're not working with suckers yet, so that's, it's yeah. not that cool yet. But. I mean,
1: you also work with Salmonids. So. I know, I <laughs> know.
0: It's the universe punishing me
1: so. i i don't understand so katie how come you've chose to work with some you're
0: gonna ask really cool questions because there's so much work done like i would love to answer the same questions on suckers that i can with trout but there's just like not the background research
1: yet so i feel like maybe some places in colorado
0: or, Utah yeah. or maybe Or the desert yeah for my post office like for some sucker work <laughs> so nice i want to jump into your master's but as like an intro before you talk about your actual research, can you talk about how you actually like found your master's position? Cause I don't know if that's like the same as just like applying for it willy nilly.
1: Yeah. So how I came into my master's position, it was honestly a lot through, you know, connections and hard work on that end. I knew Dr. Angie Whiteley from my UMass Amherst days and I knew one of his graduate students, um, Zach Robinson at the time, I had helped them at UMass Amherst. <clears throat> Dr. Andrew Whiteley and, and Dr. Zach Robinson, they uh, had moved out to Montana for Zach to pursue his PhD and Andrew is a professor at the University of Montana. And so I stayed in touch with them. Um, I had the opportunity to kind of move out to Missoula, uh, help out on some field work and help out on some lab work and kind of got to know the university, got to meet Dr. Lisa Eby and work in the conservation genetics lab a little bit and help out with some other projects and yeah it came the opportunity that there's some funding for this master's position that i ended up applying for under lisa and andrew and yeah it's kind of how that came together it's not i guess the most you know i wasn't a I, I knew i wanted to get a master's degree but i knew i was investing my time you know with these you know Lisa and Andrew, getting to know them, and I wasn't at, quite at the point of uh, just applying to master's positions all over the place yet. I, also, to add, I pretty much I graduated my undergrad in 2017, and I spent you know a year in Montana before I started my masters there. So it kind of was all very quick after my undergraduate. So I I felt like you know I had some time on my side. It was an opportunity for me to get out west and you know potentially have an opportunity to get a master's program at UM mm-hmm. or get into the master's program at UM. And yeah, it just worked out, you know, that the timing and everything and funding for this project came available and I was able to apply and yeah, pursue my project.
0: Cool. Then can you jump into a bit of an overview of what you actually did for your master's?
1: Yeah. So for my master's it was working alongside the Confederate Salish Kootenai tribe. I I worked a lot with uh, Craig Barfoot, was a tribal fisheries biologist up there? Again, it was with uh, Lisa Eby and Andrew Whiteley. I had two major parts of my master's. One was a little bit more management, one was a little, more, one was a little bit more research. The first one that was closer with CSKT, Confederated Salish Kidney Tribe, was the more management side. So the Jocko is just north of Missoula on the Flathead Indian Reservation. And they had a long-term data set of hybridization data with westlow cutthroat trout rainbow trout hybridization and there is a unique irrigation diversion that serves as a partial to complete barrier to the upper parts of the jocko so we were able to evaluate uh, changes in hybridization over time given the management action of craig and other tribal employees were passing uh, Westlope cutthroat trout, migratory Westlope cutthroat tr- trout above the barrier based on phenotype characteristics. So we had some before landscape genetics idea of what hybridization was above and below the barrier. We also had the aspect of being able to genotype all the individual or a subset of the individuals they passed at the barrier. And then looking 10 to 13 years later down the line of if any of that has or any of the hybridization metrics have changed across the landscape. And, you know, it, it turns out Craig and his crew did a really great job of assessing migratory their trout with, you know, phenotypic characteristics. Uh, I want to say the number is 98% of the, of the fish they passed that we genotyped were less than, you know, 1% hybridized. Um, and we didn't really see any. Large increase of any of the hybridization metrics we looked at above the barrier. We did see some below the barrier, but that was at a site closest to the barrier itself. So there's some nuance there, where you know there's potential straying of you know hybrid individuals that may or rainbows that may have been turned downstream or kind of short stopping them. But yeah, that was kind of my first chapter. I just put that together, and as I was telling you earlier, we just got that published and out there. So that's that was great. My second chapter was focusing on the early life history of westslope cutthroat trout and rainbow trout and hybrids. So, you know, trying to add to the black box that is, you know, selection that could be occurring or selection occurring at the early life stage of westslope cutthroat trout, rainbow trout and hybrids. So for that part, I sampled several different creeks throughout uh, Western Montana there. And we had temperature data. We sampled anywhere from 20 to 35 larval individuals at each of these sites. And then I extracted otoliths and were able to back calculate hatch date, look at daily growth rate, and to see if there was any relationship with hybridization and hatch date and growth rates. And that one was a little bit more difficult because we were Kind of a victim of sample size. Ideally, we would have got more individuals from you know each sample site, and unfortunately, we didn't end up having any westslope hybrids and rainbows within one site. I mean, it's obviously it's hard to know when you're catching fish that are 20 to 35 millimeters, and you know a lot shakes out after you genotype them mm-hmm. and you get the otoliths out. So, at some of the sites that we saw that we had westslope and hybrids, we did see that you know westslope were hatching later and had a faster growth rate. And then we saw um, in some of the sites with hybrids and rainbows that rainbows were hatching earlier and had uh, a little bit of a slower, similar growth rate to hybrids. But yeah, I'm still trying to wrap that paper up and hopefully get that that one out there pretty soon. Yeah. But yeah, so more, you know, first chapter a little more management oriented, um, helping Craig and the tribe provide some answers on kind of their, you know, management actions that they've been carrying out the passage began in 2010, but you know they have large landscape data going back to the early 2000s. So kind of evaluating this big long-term data set. And then that second chapter being a little bit more research focused and trying to add some information to that black box of the early life history and selection at that early life history.
0: Yeah. And just to maybe emphasize this, because I I mean, I guess I don't do otolith work, so maybe this is more common than I think it is, but it feels... Fairly uncommon to be able to actually age otoliths of that small of fish, given like the high powered of a microscope you needed. So if you want to talk about that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) My love for larval otoliths began in my undergraduate days. I mentioned some of that river herring work. I served on a crew of undergrads that we extracted, imaged and aged hundreds, maybe even thousands of alewife river herring otoliths. So that's where I kind of was became fascinated with, you know, being able to get hatched a hatch day, uh, daily growth rates and, you know, and adding temperature or other conditions to, you know, models and being like, what's, you know, what's driving these relationships. So that's kind of where I started to fall in love with larval odolates. And, and actually when this master position came together, obviously the major focus, because the funding was coming from the tribe was to, you know, evaluate their management. But Andrew. Whitely, you know, knew my experience and kind of my love, my fondness for early life history. And we saw this as an opportunity to kind of dive into the, you know, the Westlope rainbow hybrid world using odoliths. So it was a lot of unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, there really weren't, there's a small field of people that like look, extracting odoliths under microscopes and, and using high powered, uh, expensive microscopes to image at 400x more than that sometimes mm-hmm. magnification. Yeah, it was, it was something that, you know, kind of, I became fond of in uh, my undergraduate and was able to bring that one forward with me into my grad school experience. And yeah, I think there's a lot of information to be had within La Roa Yeah, It's, it's a really cool aspect of the fisheries field.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess if you want to talk about it, do you have any advice for undergrads or people like starting out in their early in their research masters, grad positions?
1: Yeah, I think uh, getting involved as much as you can, you know, if you're an undergrad taking any opportunity to help out in labs, learn different skills, you know, that can often lead to fall or fall, winter, spring, you know, lab opportunities can often lead to summer field opportunities. I understand not everyone is in love with looking under a microscope or pipetting or whatever it be, but. A lot of times those connections you can make in those settings can help set you up for awesome summer field jobs that may be a little bit more lucrative in the eyes of a lot of younger professionals. I would also say my undergrad opportunities, you know, both in the field and in the lab kind of help drive my interest in my graduate work too, you know, and some of my passion. So I think being open and balancing your undergrad work, but also taking those opportunities to get kind of different experiences and um uh, yeah, I think my biggest advice on that is creating a broad network as much as you can throughout your undergrad, into your post, back and before your master's, then or PhD, and then obviously continuing that throughout. If you have the opportunity to help out with other projects or, yeah, other research, you know, not with not just within your lab but other labs or other you know agencies, maybe you know take any opportunity you can, obviously within reason to get you know as much experience and connections as we can
0: yeah okay and then following your masters you first worked as a technician for the pacific state marine fisheries commission but that was mainly in conjunction with idaho fishing game so i have two questions for that first is what projects did you focus on for that and then i can either re-ask this later or just leave it in here <laughs> um but how do positions like that actually work because they're like you're essentially working for Idaho Fishing Game, but they're funded through this totally different agency, right?
1: Yeah. So after finishing up my master's, I, was, I got an awesome job down in Salmon, Idaho, just a couple hours south of Missoula. And I was a PAC States or Pacific State uh, Marine Fisheries Commission employee as you know, senior technician tech two, And as the way that worked, at least with in Idaho, so that agency, you know, encompasses a lot of the Pacific Northwest and it might function a little bit differently in other areas. But for me, in Idaho, I worked right alongside fishing game employees. You know, I was donning the fishing game uniform and helping them out. I worked under the anatomist fisheries biologist Megan Heller over there in Salmon, part of the Wild Salmon and Stalehead program. So I really focused on salmon and stalehead. And what that meant was we have rotary screw traps that we use to catch and Take you know just length weights pit tags of salmon and stalehead, chinook and steelhead. Uh, I oversaw two of those screw traps during the summer, so those those run March through, just about now or you know a couple of weeks before now uh, into the fall. And then during the summer, there I also helped oversaw a snorkel crew. So there's a crew lead and a couple four snorkelers, and you know we'd go out and snorkel for par monitoring from North Fork of the Salmon River all the way to the upper Salmon River um, in Stanley, Idaho. So it was a really awesome opportunity and saw a lot of really cool country that during those times. And then kind of rolling into the fall, I also uh, helped out with an oversaw spawning ground surveys. So that included, or that was not only Red Walks for Chinook, but also I, w- I got drone certified and was one of the two drone pilots for our UAV uh, Chinook red counts. So that was kind of the meat and potatoes of that position, the field aspects, you know, and it was year round. So I was also doing a lot of the data, uh, helped write some reports. And, you know, I was only in that position for just about a year, but it was full of a lot of different experiences. And it was it was pretty awesome to go from the salmonid world of, you know, cutthroat and jumping, you know, not too far off, but, uh, jumping into the anadromous side of the Samoan world and like to say, it's like, you know, drinking from a fire hose. You're just, there's so much information, so much new information that, you know, I had had to learn pretty fast and it was an awesome experience of kind of diving into that anadromous world that, you know, I wasn't as privy to living or working on my master's obviously on cutthroat Mm in Montana. Does that answer everything yeah I
0: think yeah I think that covered all of it. Yeah because I was just kind of curious with like how those positions where you're not an Idaho fishing game employee but you're essentially just doing work for Idaho Fishing Game, how that all works together if it's just like a different funding source yeah. essentially. Yeah. Okay. Um, well now you are working as a regional fisheries biologist for Idaho Fishing Game with a focus on resident fisheries. So what are the major projects that you're focused on with this position?
1: Yeah, kind of piggybacking off the last one on my previous position, you know, it was a great opportunity for me to kind of learn IDF and G and the agency and the Najmus world and kind of dip into that for a little bit. And then I was able to or I got this opportunity to apply and get this position working more on resident fisheries. And with this position, I focus a lot of effort on two of our major lakes and fisheries in this region so one's lake cascade cascade reservoir there the other one's payette lake and i guess with (coughs) cascade we have a pretty awesome yellow perch fishery that we've been evaluating and managing for years so adding to that and continuing the management on that system and then right here in mccall there's payette lake which sees a lot of recreation and fishing for kokanee and lake trout so it's a pretty unique system where we get to balance a trophy lake trout fishery uh, at the same time balance a, a pretty awesome kokanee fishery on top of it and so those are, those are kind of like two of my really major focuses but to be said you know there's also a hundred something high mountain lakes in this region um, so i get to you know get out into those evaluate the fisheries that we have in those high mountain lakes i do get to do some stream work too we have some upcoming projects with some Brook trout removal, bull trout restorations, so weaving in you know sport fisheries and native fisheries. It's a pretty unique fisheries uh, management position I'm in, and you know something that really drew me to this position was as we've kind of highlighted, I've done a lot of river and anadromous work, and I kind of saw this position as a really cool opportunity to build my experience beyond just the enajimous world or just the riverine systems, right? I get to play in a couple fun lakes, I get to explore high mountain lakes, and still also ha- maintain it. the river aspect and enajimous aspect too. And another kind of novel, unique part of this position. So McCall's a sub-region. So there's seven regions in Idaho, um, but McCall's a sub-region. So we have a smaller office. And so there's fish manager, there's myself, an enajimous biologist, and another Pacific state Marine fisheries technician, kind of similar position that I was in uh, before I came here. But anyways, the point of this is I get to also still help out in the management world. Got to go out on a red walk, got to help spawn some chinook. So it, I still get these opportunities to still be a part of the management fisheries and still fully dive into the management and our resident fisheries too.
0: Cool. Yeah, I was. I feel like you kind of touched on this, but just to maybe double check, is the focus for your stuff mainly sport fisheries? And then you need to like sprinkle in a few native fish projects or is it more even than that?
1: Yeah. I guess it'd be kind of hard for me to put like a number on it or something, but yeah, I mean a major focus for me is sport fisheries, but I kind of alluded to it, you know, we're still doing some cool headwater native uh, fish work, you know, and some bigger native fish work too. So, uh, and obviously the help with the salmon and steelhead side of things, you know, is also aligned into the native fisheries kind of thing. So. Yeah, I'll be managing or helping, you know, playing a role in managing payette for lake trout and kokanee or, you know, jumbo or yellow perch down there in Cascade. I still get to, you know, get my hands on bull trout or cutthroat or, you know, other native species from to this region. So, yeah, I think it's a pretty good balance. I don't quite have a number to put on it, but. Cool.
0: And then my other question related to your job is just, I don't necessarily want to be a biologist myself, but... I'm thinking about like in a position (laughs) where you have all of these responsibilities. I'm curious how you actually go about like prioritizing what lakes and areas to focus on for your sampling and like how does that all work? Like how does, how do you decide where you spend your time sampling?
1: Yeah, uh, a lot of it goes back to Idaho's fish management plan. So we have five-year fish management plan. It's actually next year we'll be working on our latest next five-year plan so a lot of that kind of helps drive a lot of our decisions and you know that kind of ties back to use of a lot of these systems and you know what uh the public like anglers you know what they're looking to get out of you know these different areas it's important that with a field season being as long as it is it's like you want to make the most out of where you're going and what you're spending your time doing so being able to get into some high mountain lakes you know we want to know you know, is it because we haven't sampled this in a really long time? Did we change up our stocking? Or is there like a, a research project going on or something? Or going to certain lowland lakes that we may only go to every couple years to revisit? Or we kind of have our big cascade and payette like annual surveys that we always do. And those are always going to be there every year for the most part. And then it's kind of adding on these different projects or, you know, different areas to get an opportunity and, and rotate through them of evaluating you know some sort of question surrounding management and use and yeah so it's just kind of finding the time and balance to go you know do more than just our our traditional annual surveys on a lot of these systems and yeah getting to kind of explore a lot of these and, and i guess i would want to add to you know i just started the position this past summer so i got a lot to kind of grow into and and kind of you know get a good grasp on the area and, and and build from that over time.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I'm trying to think if there's a good question or way for me to ask this <laughs> feeds in more naturally. But uh, yeah, do you have any like thoughts or like viewpoints <laughs> on how you've gotten to like this permanent job position that so many people are looking for? Maybe.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess I can talk a little bit my like, about my career path. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, you know, getting into fisheries, you know, fishing was a part of my childhood to some degree and kind of fell in love with fisheries throughout my undergrad and then pursued my grad or my master's and then, you know, ended into that tech position, now this biologist position. And I'd be lying to say, you know, at, you know, six years old, when I caught my first largemouth bass, I was like, oh, I want to be a fish biologist. Like that's definitely not necessarily the path I had. Um, It took me a little bit longer to kind of figure out, you know, what i was driving working for or towards like i knew i wanted a a career in fisheries i thought about you know maybe as you know academia or you know like a research position something more interesting and you know i kind of as i worked through my masters and got to meet a lot of biologists and i started becoming more and more interested in the biologist field and that was kind of what i set my eyes on and you know that's what i strive to to get to and that's where I'm at now and I can be more excited, you know, to be in this position. And I think, you know, a really cool aspect of working for this agency is we get the opportunity to hire a lot of seasonal help. Man, I think in my office alone we probably hire maybe like thirteen or fourteen seasonal employees. And now a lot of those are on the enagram side for rotor screw traps and snorkeling. But myself I get to hire um you know, usually an eight month and a five month technician, and sometimes a three month technician too, or kind of splitting those things up. But, you know, those are great opportunities to get involved with state agencies and, you know, getting a better understanding how the agency works and getting to try a lot of diverse different opportunities. You know, I would say to any undergraduate that's, you know, looking for jobs, we usually get a good amount of people that, you know, are new to Idaho and it's awesome. Get to interview those people and talk to them and you know this will be their first time out west or uh you know and not to you know we get a lot of awesome candidates too that are from idaho but it's this a great opportunity that you get to come out and kind of work a dream job in a dream area you know um in my previous position like i said i got to spend a lot of time down in stanley around the sawtoots and you know, that's just absolutely amazing terrain and now in this current position you know surrounded by the south fork salmon and uh, Seven Devils and the, you know, all this different area. It's it's just amazing country that a lot of people don't get to experience. So, if you're an undergrad and you're fortunate enough to have the opportunity to, you know, leave home for a summer and get to go experience Idaho. I definitely suggest doing that. And and throughout the state, not even just in my office in my region, but throughout the state, there's countless opportunities. Yeah. And a lot of those opportunities get posted in December. So if you're an undergraduate listening to this, I'd definitely uh, look at Idaho fishing games job, but we come December and yeah, don't be afraid to apply. And, you know, even if you're pretty green to the fisheries field, uh, you know, everyone needs to get their start somewhere. And, you know, maybe if you're in undergrad, sophomore into junior, junior into senior, whatever it be, maybe one of those three month positions will fit, fit you right. And that could mean a, a summer snorkeling and that's just, that's an awesome opportunity or, you know, maybe you're finished up your senior year and you're looking for something a little bit longer and eight month runs or early spring into early or into mid fall. And, you know, that's another great opportunity to really get to know an agency and, and start figuring out, you know, what your next career move is. And yeah, I just think uh, there's a lot of awesome opportunities and anyone that's in that part of their life, you know, should definitely not be afraid to apply and interview these positions, even if it means, you know, coming all the way from I don't know, Massachusetts, where I originally started, or something like that. You know, it's it's just a great opportunity. Great way to spend your summer.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think my favorite field tech job that I ever did was working on a snorkel crew out of Lewiston, Idaho. It's like eight week yeah. hitches you snorkel every day. It was awesome. <laughs> I loved it.
1: Yeah. And <laughs> man, last summer when I was snorkeling, it was like it was there's something amazing about snorkeling later into the summer there and all of a sudden you know you're you're working up up river and all of a sudden you see a 20 something 30 something inch chinook in front of your face Mm -hmm. and to think that to think about how far that fish traveled you know not once but twice to get back to here and i don't know it just yeah there's i definitely have a soft spot for uh, snorkeling and i I think it's it's a really cool Mm -hmm. that's a really cool opportunity and you know and someone like from you know the positions under me it's we we cover just about everything. It's like you could be electrofishing one day, you could be guildlanding another, you could be running a juvenile trawl, you could be, you know, it's uh, at a high mountain lake. There's just endless kind of sampling techniques that we use in this position. And that's, you know, another thing that really attracted me to this position was again, you know, you know, still getting spent time in streams and rivers, but jumping into lakes and, you know, all these, you know, diverse experiences that I hadn't hit on all of those before I got the position and so now it's really just getting to learn a lot of these different techniques. And I think that's a really cool part of my position and, you know, the, the technicians and aids that work under me is like, you, you truly get the full gauntlet of fisheries techniques when it comes to it, I feel like.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like one of my favorite parts about doing this podcast and like working new jobs is hearing about how people like got to their current positions and like how they like them just because there's so many different jobs you can work in fisheries that I don't know. It's fun to hear different ways and different jobs.
1: Yeah. It's kind of funny, like just jumping from like brook trout work, you know, from working in Vermont, Massachusetts, Virginia, you know, I dabbled a little bit in testing, like all over the place in stuff. And So like, come out West and say, like, all right, cut through work. And now it's like, all right, salmon still had work. And then, all right, let's switch it up and, you know, like go into more sport fishery. and mm-hmm. But still getting that opportunity, obviously to still work with some mod. It's, it's just kind of, it's, it's, it's pretty cool in my mind. I feel like, a, not always, but a lot of people sometimes kind of, you know, follow suit from, you know, undergrad to their professional. It's, you know, like, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that's also awesome if you can do that. But I think being able to kind of switch things up and, like, I don't know, diversify your experiences on that end is pretty
0: awesome. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Um, the last question I have before our final ones is when I try to ask most people, which is, uh, what hobbies and interests do you have outside of fish and work? Because I think it's good to remind ourselves that we're people outside of what we do for work. So, Fish our life. Yeah. Life is fish. I mean, your hobbies yeah. can involve fish if, it, if that so happens.
1: But. I do enjoy fishing. Yeah, I would say skiing is a pretty big one come the winter here. it's Winter's knocking on our doors. So that's a big one for me. Rafting. I definitely got into rafting since kind of moving out west. It's another one. And just, yeah, getting out, backpacking, you know, take taking the truck down some dirt roads and just camping and exploring some areas, cooking, even kind of a lot of fun, different things. Uh, I mean, I naturally kind of gravitate towards spending a lot of my time in, in the outdoors. You know, that's just a great place to be. And, you know, where I've been living, Missoula, Salmon, and now McCall, it's like I'm, you know, within 10 to 20 minutes and all those places I could be on a dirt road and not see anyone, you know, and, or I can go be on my, you know, be on a raft and be fishing somewhere or hiking up to a high mountain lake somewhere. So tons of great opportunities out at all the places I've lived. And, you know, especially where I live now, where it's like, yeah, you can quickly kind of get out the door and be in on your own and really get to enjoy, enjoy the outdoors. And, you know, that's just, I I guess one of my hobbies is, is doing that, but yeah excited for ski season too
0: yeah oh my gosh the snow is just not gonna come i feel like i just want it too bad it was just like waiting
1: <laughs> i think like three weeks ago it was like winter's here uh-huh. and then it like warmed up yeah. i was like there's so much there's snow in town uh-huh. there's like you know mountains were covered i mean there's still out there like the mountains are covered mm-hmm. but yeah it's kind of crazy i feel like we, we got like returned back to fall stands, i know
0: so I i'm like, kind of bummed about it.
1: <laughs> Yeah. My boss was like, yeah, we usually get to ski at Brundage like by Thanksgiving. And we're both like looking up there. We're like, "Mm, yeah, that's not happening.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, we have now finished what we call the tough part of the interview, which brings us to our final five questions, a group of questions that we ask each of the guests that come on the show. I think these can be trickier, but it depends on the guest. The first (laughs) one is what is your favorite fish?
1: Yeah. There's a lot of them. Um, <laughs>
0: I know, it's my style.
1: <laughs> I mean, like, I'm, I'm fond of my time working with brook trout. You know, obviously I have a soft spot for Westlip Cutler trout. In this new position, it's like getting to handle some massive lake trout is pretty amazing. Or some cute, you know, pretty big yellow perch or some colored up kokanee. They're all amazing. Or... I, don't know, I got to catch a sturgeon this last spring that was also amazing I, you know I think there's a lot of awesome fish out there I don't think I can choose just one
0: okay so just a mattering.
1: <laughs> yeah I haven't met a fish I haven't liked you know
0: wow that's that should be the question is is there a fish you don't like
1: <laughs> I don't know some people might not be a fan of like you know perch for example. They, mm-hmm. They'll. They're sharp. They can get you uh, or cat, some catfish or
0: something like yeah. that, but I don't know. Funny. Okay. Our next one is what is your favorite memory from your career so far?
1: Hmm. I think, Hmm. I don't know. This is a tough one. My favorite memory of my career so far, I definitely have a soft spot for grad school, you know, getting to meet a lot of awesome people, uh, working on, you know my project working with the collaborators Lisa and Andrew, and you know, just having two labs full of you know, awesome friend, you know, friends, you know, lifelong friends that I created. But yeah, it's kind of hard to not say after this awesome field season, I had to be like this field season. And I'm sure if you ask me this again next year, it'd be like this past field season, and just going on, you know, getting to spend time in the field getting to have be around technicians and bio-aids and kind of seeing the next generation of fisheries professionals and countless hours out there in the woods or on the lake or in the river, whatever it be. Uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to not say, like, you know, that, that's my, my favorite part, but I think that's a revolving door to the day I retire, probably, I would always say.
0: Yeah, this one is... I feel I always feel bad asking this one for people who just started their job because it's kind of a hard, hard to answer it. But um what is your dream job and or location? <laughs>
1: uh I would say, you know, dream job or location. It's it's kind of difficult. You know, I just started out, my career is pretty young, and you know, I, I couldn't be more excited to finally become a fisheries biologist and you know, working for idf and is is awesome and you know, McCall, like I've talked about earlier a bit, is a really amazing location and I can't really look beyond what I'm doing right now. I think, you know, I'm really excited and grateful to get into this position and this location. Um and yeah, I think I'm just really excited to see how I grow into this position and see what comes of it over the next, you know, couple handfuls of years.
0: Yeah. Cool. Okay. Our next question is If money was on issue, what is one project you would like to work on?
1: That's a difficult one. Just gonna go back to the whole fact that, you know, I'm pretty new and learning a lot in this position. So, you know, there's a lot of learning, like I said earlier, drinking from a fire hose going on right now. So I haven't quite set my eyes on any grand big old project yet. But I do think there's a lot of cool stuff to be done and both. The major fisheries Payette and cascade, but also a lot of cool work to be done in the rivers and streams around here and getting some more love into some of those systems and, you know, even up into some headwater systems. And yeah, I guess I don't have, uh, I haven't really set my eyes on any grand projects yet.
0: Fair, fair <laughs> enough. All right. Our last question is if there's one pointer principle you could have programmed into everyone's head, what would it be?
1: Yeah, I think being open and willing to kind of take new experiences on. You know, after my undergraduate, I kind of was willing just to move out west and pursue some seasonal jobs and lab work and, you know, eventually get into my master's, you know, and I took the position before this, you know, not necessarily knowing what would come come of it, but, you know, having some idea, moving to a new area, you know, it's a lot, I feel like it's, it's pretty easy for a lot of people to be comfortable in, you know, in certain ways and not be willing to like, take the leap or jump into like the next new experience or putting themselves out there. So I think for me, it's, just you know, the willingness and kind of courage and, you know, if you're capable to kind of get that experience to apply to a snorkel job, you know, in Idaho coming from Maine or Florida or Massachusetts or, you know, California, wherever, or even within your state within Idaho, you know, like going to a different part of Idaho or something like that would be an example, you know, just taking those opportunities and and being willing and not afraid to. Yeah, jump on those and and take any chance you can get.
0: Awesome. Well, Anthony, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Um, Always fun catching up and getting to share your work with everybody. If people want to find out more information about your work or get a hold of you somehow, is there a good way for them to do that?
1: Yeah, I guess my work email. Just anthony.dangora.dfg.idaho.gov, kind of where I'm at. Yeah, if there's any one you know, that wants to ever shoot me some questions or, uh, anything like that, feel free to reach out, especially when it comes to careers or jobs or level outlets, um, anything like that. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of the best way to find me nowadays.
0: Awesome. I hope that you all enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to get a hold of me or the podcast, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at fisheries pod, or send us an email to feedback at the fisheries podcast.com. You can download past, present, and future episodes on your favorite listening app or stream it from Spotify or thefisheriespodcast.com. And don't forget you can help support the podcast with a monthly contribution through Patreon or by rocking some awesome Fisheries Podcast shirts, hoodies, and stickers available on Teespring. I'm Katie Heinley. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fisheries Podcast, and remember, be open and willing to take on new experiences.